We pray this message blesses and encourages you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that's so brilliant. You're all ready to hear. You're all switched on and ready for it this morning. So there's nobody looking particularly sleepy down there. As Emma said, we've started a new series on the storyteller, Parables from Matthew, which just started last week. And we're continuing on with that for the next number of weeks where we'll be looking at different parables from Matthew, reading it from the book of Matthew, um, and just seeing what we can learn, what we can be taught. Because I think we're all here because we want to learn from the word and we want to become more Christ-like and, and make changes in our lives that make us more of him and less of us. I'm thinking we're all probably on the same page there. So the parable that I have been given today to bring is the parable of the speck and the log. And as Sean said last week, people love stories. We really do, don't we? And so throughout human history, there's the tradition, um, there's evidence of those oral storytelling traditions where it's mouth to ear from generation to generation, even before people were able to read or write those things down. And I have a film that's one of my favorite films. I don't know if people have seen it, The Croods. It's actually a kid's film, a cartoon, but I love it. And it's this, I don't know, cave-dwelling family. And uh, obviously, cave-dwelling times, they don't have their tablets or their TV or their phones. So their entertainment time was the dad telling stories. And so this teenage daughter is sick of the dad. Oh, it's the same stories every night. That was the entertainment, the storytelling. So there's a long history in our world of storytelling traditions. And in ancient Wales, where I'm from, we had the Cavarwith, which were uh, professional storytellers. They were different from the poets, and they would travel uh, and get food and lodging and maybe gifts for their entertainment. That was, you know, when people didn't have other means of entertainment. You'd have music, poetry, but you'd have the storyteller as well, the professional storyteller because we love an old story. So Jesus knew this. And you could go say, why didn't Jesus just say, right guys, do this, don't do this, and here's why. Because he could have done it that way, but I think his stories, his parables caught the ear. They made people sit up and listen. And we know from the Bible that Sermons could go on for a really long time. We talk about how people were starving. The sermons had gone on for such a long time. No one had eaten over the course of a whole day. So the sermons could be really long-winded, like mine this morning. <coughs> no, I'm only joking. It won't be. So actually then teaching your, your message through storytelling was a really clever idea because it made the audience switch on and use their brains to like decipher how the story matched up with the spiritual teaching that was being brought. So it's a great way to keep engagement. And without further ado then, let's jump into our parable for today. So it'll be up on the screen, but also if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 7, it's verses 1 to 6. And hopefully the writing's big enough to see. Um, if, if I was sat down there looking up at that, though, I'd be like a mole trying to get my eyes on that little ring. But anyways, maybe you have your Bible on your phone. So I'll read Matthew 7, 1 to 6. And sometimes I will say verse 6 can seem a little bit, um, bit removed or a bit hard to understand from verses 1 to 5. Often it gets left out when looking at the parable of the speck in the log. But I am going to include that today and cover verse 6 as well. So here we go. Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, 
and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So that's Jesus's words there. I would say the big immediate takeaway from that passage here is that we are not called to judge, right? So it's literally crystal clear, do not judge. We could probably nearly leave it there. That's that lesson taught, I heard you. But I think, you know, speaking on my own behalf, like with the thick skull, it might not drip, drip through very well unless I expand on it a bit and then drive the point home. So we'll do that now. Let he who has ears to hear, hear. Isn't that what the Bible says? So how many of us this morning have our listening ears switched on? Well, there's a few people. My youngest was in a creche where they used to say to the kids, right kids, when they needed them to pay attention, switch your listening ears on and all the little toddlers will go. So that's literally what they say. Switch your listening ears on. So let's make sure they're all on this morning. So we're not called to judge. That's the first subheading I'm going to talk about here now. We are not called to judge. It's interesting then the words that are used in the parable, speck or plank and log. Some versions like the King James use the words moat and beam. So if we look at the original Greek that was translated, the word speck is karphos. It means a small dry stalk, a twig, a bit of dried stick, or a tiny straw or bit of wool. And the idea of using this word is it's implying it's a minor fault something small, not significant. Whereas on the other hand, the word used for the log is dokos, a beam supporting the roof of the building. Described as this beam was a heavy rafter used to hold up the ceiling. So you can see Jesus is really driving his point home here with this huge contrast. Why are you so busy, so interested in pointing out and offering to help your pal to remove that little minor irritation in his eye when you've got an enormous rafter beam, a thick plank of wood sticking out of your own eye. It's like a really over-the-top dramatic example of, seriously, what are you doing? So he's telling us there, judge yourselves. Judge yourselves, find your own sin, and get busy removing that. That's what we're told to do. He's trying to show us there that the sin that's in ourselves we think is small or insignificant can actually be bigger than the person we're judging sin. So I like to note as well there the use of the word brother. So in the parable, he says, why do you look at the little speck in your brother's eye? So that means a fellow believer, because we can see in the scriptures where Jesus says about your brothers and sisters, your brother and sister. It doesn't mean literally your blood brother in your family. It means your fellow believers. So Jesus is telling us here, don't be looking at your fellow believer judging him when you've got stuff to deal with yourself. So that brings two points to mind. One, we need to look at what does the Bible say about judging fellow believers, even beyond this passage? And secondly, what does the Bible say about judging non-believers? So first one, what do the scriptures say about judging fellow believers? I'm going to read Romans 14 verses 10 to 13 now. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? 
Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So that seems pretty clear, that passage. But some of you might be thinking, well, what about when there's blatant sin in someone claiming to be a follower or a member of the church? You know what? Yeah, you might say, yeah, I know. Yeah, we're not called to judge. But if this person is saying, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, and I go to St. Mark's, yeah, that's my church, but they're involved in a, a really blatant criminal enterprise or, you know, terrible sort of financial shady dealings that are clearly sinful or they're having an extramarital affair on their spouse and it's really obvious and everyone knows about it. You could say, well, oh yeah, I know we're not called to judge our fellow believer, but also that, that's a bad reflection. If they're saying I'm a believer and I go to St. Mark's and that's my church, fear not. The Bible has something to tell us on that. There's a protocol. And isn't it nice when you go into a workplace and they have a protocol? Okay, if there's a fire, we go, da, da, da. Okay, if this runs out, we have, but, but, but. Maybe it's just me. This like sort of like military mindset. I have a lovely bit of protocol. So the Bible gives us a dig out here. He's saying, don't bother judging your fellow believer. But, okay, there's a protocol if we have an issue like that. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So I would say in this example, it's go to that person that you can see, okay, this isn't right. And gently say, have you realized that's probably not the way Christians should live? And Gently try to talk to them. Maybe they'll say, oh, oh, okay, uh, well, never th I didn't think about it. And maybe, he says, if, if they listen to you, you've won them over. Maybe they'll go, yeah, oh, I need to deal with this. Job done. If they don't and they say, shut up, you. I'm not listening to you. I'm happy. I'm grand doing what I like. Then the next thing is to bring to the two or three people that may be like the elders, senior people in the church that you say, you know what? I've spoken to this person. I've really gently tried to correct them. They don't want to listen. The elders of the church can then talk to them. There are two, three witnesses to say, look, we've all come together to just say to you, this isn't what we're called to. If then they still don't listen, you bring it to the church, which I would take to mean to the pastor and say, right, if the pastor then has a word and says, do you know something? This isn't how we're supposed to live. And if they don't listen, well, then they clearly don't care. They are happy out living in their sin. No one's telling me any different than off they go. So the idea is, if there is a big issue, it's a quiet word to, just between the two of you to start with. Not judgy, judgy, talking to everyone else about it. and mm, mm, mm. But a quiet word done in love. Galatians 6, 1 to 5 keeps talking about this point. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own 
actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Each should test their own actions. Let's not let it get to a point where we haven't checked ourselves for sin in so long that we're busy having quiet words with people, with everyone else, and looking out for everyone else's sins, and then day by day not realizing this massive clank is growing out of our own eye. John 1, 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Because do you know what's also a sin? Pride. Pride, and that is a nice private sin that no one will ever know about, right? Because it's all inside your own head. No one will know about pride. And it can be very easy for believers to sit with pride, looking around and pointing fingers, well, I don't actually do that sin. So I definitely don't struggle with that. And some of those visible sins that are really hard to hide. And all the while being clueless about the sin of our own pride, going around looking down our nose at our fellow believers. So let's go back to our scripture, scripture in Matthew 7. We're basically told, don't be a hypocrite, sort your own sin out first. Jesus is telling us that so clearly. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So that's judging our fellow believers. But I also wanna ask, what do the scriptures say about judging non-believers? And I think this is important because, you know what, it's very easy um, to judge non-believers, isn't it? Their lives are often so far removed from ours, and they don't live by the biblical rules that we live by. They live by their own set of rules. But I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 5, starting from verse 9. And it says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Here's verse 12, ready? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Let me tell you, God doesn't need your help. God does not need your help judging. He is a very capable judge, and he's not forming a jury panel and saying, you know, I'm kind of busy at the moment, so if you wouldn't mind sitting on this jury and judging the world for me and all the world's sins. He's not asking us to do that. If Paul said, it's not my business judging non-believers, you can best believe it. it ain't our business either. James 4.12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Romans 2.1 says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now hang on. I'll have to insert a little note here because you might hear that and think, well, actually, I don't partake of that sin, so I can judge that sin. But let me read this, that passage there from the message now. And I don't often use the message when I'm bringing a teaching or reading it myself at home. I don't use it much, but 
boy, does this pack a punch when it comes from the message. So Romans 2.1 from the message. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. Ouch. Like that, that is a spiritual slap on the backside, isn't it? That's, that's the biblical equivalent of the slipper. And the youngsters here won't have a clue what I'm talking about there because it's been outlawed. You don't even know you're born, guys. The biblical slipper is what I see that one as. Those people are on a downward spiral. Who is he talking about? Well, Paul just spent the second half of Romans 1 talking about all the non-believers of the world and, and the sin that was so dark in the world around him. So he's saying, looking at that, all that sin and darkness in the world, in the non-believers, if you think that you can be on the high ground and point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. That judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own, own wrongdoings, but God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through that smoke screen and holds you to what you've done. Once again, it brings us back to the same theme, judge yourself. Judge yourself. We're only called to judge one person, and that's ourselves. That's it. That's the only person we're called to judge. Because we have to remember this, and this is so important. We have the Holy Spirit to prompt us when we sin, to correct us. Non-believers don't have the Holy Spirit to do that. Are we so arrogant and self-righteous that we deny the work of the Holy Spirit in giving us that pang of conviction when we do wrong? Because that's the gift that we've been given. So that when we go off and veer off into sin, the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, hey, hey. Oh, and you go, oh, I felt that pang of conviction. That's not our own strength. I'm so good. I try not to sin. The Holy Spirit, the gift is given to us to help keep us on track. Non-believers do not have that. So who do we think we are? Judging them. We have a helper. The helper, literally Jesus called the Holy Spirit. I will leave the helper for you. And the helper helps keep us on track, judge ourselves, try and keep sin out of our lives. And the world doesn't have that going on. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not ours. So I said I'd come back to verse 6 of Matthew 7, and that's in keeping with the non-believers, judging non-believers. So here we go on verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Huh? Do you like the little pig with the pearls? I thought there's no way I'm going to find a picture of a pig with pearls. Something for everyone on Google, isn't there? So I didn't really understand that before, like previously when reading it, like, what? That came out of nowhere. It was kind of a theme. Don't judge other people. Judge yourself. Pull a plank out of your eye. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. I wasn't planning on it, what? So let's break it down. Your pearls, if you imagine this, right? They're a precious item of jewelry. They're expensive, they're fine. And if you ever gave them away, it would be a pretty big deal. 
wouldn't it? Like it would be a family heirloom that you're passing on and you'd probably expect a bit of gratitude if you gave somebody this fine string of pearls that you've always had and you gave that away, that would be a big deal and you would hope for gratitude. Would you throw your expensive jewelry into a pig pen? No. Why? Well, they wouldn't get any benefit from it. Sure, what would a pig do with pearls? So they wouldn't recognize the value of them and they just trample them into the mud. Complete waste of time, a wasted effort, complete waste. Can anybody see where this is going now? So the word pearl, we often use in the phrase a pearl of wisdom, don't we? That precious wisdom. It's basically saying, do not correct with wisdom swine, people who are unwilling to receive correction. There is no point. When we're saved, we've said this, the Holy Spirit does an amazing job of convicting us. So why on earth do we think going and telling off a non-believer about their sin is going to be a powerful conviction? Because their hearts aren't open to it. And here's a news flash: We are not the Holy Spirit. We carry the Holy Spirit. We are not the Holy Spirit. So you're throwing these pearls of wisdom whose value is not recognized or appreciated and it'll just be trampled into the mud. What's the next part? They may turn and tear you to pieces. You know pigs can and do occasionally eat humans. Like farmers who've taken a heart attack in the pig pen and the wife doesn't know where he's gone and he can't be found anywhere because the pigs did the job of finishing that meal off until the teeth are found in the mud. So pigs can, that's a by the by, pigs can and do tear people to pieces and eat them. So what's the point there? They may turn and tear you to pieces, but it sounds familiar, doesn't it, the analogy, because you can picture it in your mind. You've got a believer judging the sinful living and behavior of a non-believer and feeling the need to let them know about their sin and then getting torn a new one, to use a modern phrase, and I'm going to say it again, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not ours. There's a, a scripture I'm going to read now that I think is so important in this context. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The listening years on. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It's saying to us, don't waste your time and risk a beating throwing your pearls to pigs, throwing out your judgment and your wisdom to someone whose heart is not set up and ready to hear or believe what you're saying, that this is a sin. So the final point is this. If we're not called to judge, then what are we called to do? Anybody got any ideas? If we're not called to judge, what are we called to do? Love. Yeah, so first things first, the first thing we've got to do is pull the plank out of our own eye, right? That's what we've been told, we've discussed this. Be self-aware, always looking out for sin in our own lives and get the plank out of our eye. And the second thing is love. Love, love, love. We're called to love and to show the love of Christ to others, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who's our neighbor? Anyone nearby. So we use brother or sister for our fellow believer. Neighbor is anyone else you come into contact with. Love your neighbor. Part of that love is sharing the gospel. So we're not being selfish. I'm all right, Jack. I got my place in heaven. I'll just keep that to myself now. But showing them love by saying, hey, do you know what? Jesus loves you. Wait till you get to know Jesus. Sharing the good news because Jesus has asked us to. Look at all the sinners Jesus met. 
through the scriptures. And he without sin could have judged. So what did he do? Let's look, Matthew 9, he ate with many sinners and tax collectors. Do you think they would have stayed at the table for long if he hadn't met them with love and kindness and compassion? If he'd looked down his nose at them and snootily pointed out their sins, none of them would have stayed very long at the table for dinner. The prostitute in Luke 7 who cleaned Jesus' feet with perfume, did he immediately point out her sinful lifestyle and look down his nose at her? No, he used the example to make a really powerful teaching point to Simon the Pharisee, and he told her her sins were forgiven. He didn't excuse her behavior or didn't say it wasn't sinful, but he didn't act holier than thou and judgmental and look down his nose at her. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he met her with compassion, kindness, love, and he still told her her sins were forgiven. He didn't affirm her sinful lifestyle. In John 8, when the Pharisees caught the woman in the act of adultery and brought her before Jesus, he wrote in the sand, let he among you without sin cast the first stone. He wasn't saying adultery is okay. He wasn't excusing it. He was challenging those people on their hypocrisy, on being judgmental. And after they all slipped away, Jesus stood up finally and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She responded, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's John 8, verses 10 to 11. Jesus didn't condemn the woman, nor did he approve her lifestyle. He forgave her sin and with compassion told her to turn her back on that life. If these people hadn't encountered Jesus' love first, those stories would look pretty different, wouldn't they? Anyone's going to run away from a judgmental, you dirty sinner. I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus met each and every one of those sinners with love, with kindness, with compassion, never affirming what they did, but the first thing that came out of him was love, not judgment. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, please, as we finish out here now. But it, I had a chat last week with John. I don't know if big John, John the Baptist is here, maybe in the next service, but we had a great chat last Sunday, and he was telling me about how he's doing a bit of security work for a place that's getting robbed an awful lot. And you know what struck me? Like, you know Big John, right? You can look at him and go, that might put me off robbing a place, right? So he has a presence anyways. He could meet people with something fairly significant. But when he's catching people stealing, he's getting these opportunities where he says to them, come here. I'm after seeing you stealing there. Come here, talk to me. And he pours out a Christ-like love in that conversation where these guys will end up in his shoulder crying and he gets to tell them about Jesus. He could go, dirty scumbags, Robin, I saw you Robin, you scum, like, and judge that sin and judge that sinful behavior. But instead he goes up and he doesn't affirm it and say it's okay, but he goes up. And to me, I was like, that is so Christ-like. I'm meeting you in your sin. And the first thing I want to do is show love to you. The first thing I want to do to you is show you compassion because that's what Jesus would do. And then, then your heart's open. Then your heart is soft and you're ready to hear something about Jesus. 
And I just thought, that is lovely. God help us all to be like that when we encounter sin in the world and go, first, let me be like you, Lord, and show kindness and compassion and love. And I can only do that if your love is in me because it's not going to come naturally to me. So let's pray as we finish here. Lord, help us to remove the plank from our own eye and to be watchful in our own lives so that sin doesn't get a foothold in us. Help us not to judge others, but help us to show your love wherever we go. And let us allow your Holy Spirit to do what your Holy Spirit does best. Help us to show your love to those who need you more than anything else. To keep watch over our own lives, judging ourselves, to keep planks out of our eyes and show your love to everyone that's in need around us so we can let your Holy Spirit move and do what it needs to do in the lives of those who need to clean out their sin too. God, help us to be more like you and less like our flesh every day. We just call on you to show us and shine a light in us on the things we need to fix about ourselves and give us that prickle of discomfort if we're being judgmental over other people. Holy Spirit, prickle that inside us that we will not be judgmental of others. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like any more information, please visit stmarkcity.ie. Have a very blessed week.